Um, so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to lead us. Father God, thank you for bringing us here and sending your spirit to be among us. I know I have nothing that is worth saying that doesn't come from your spirit. So please give me the right words, Lord. Uh, make our hearts receptive to the words in your Bible. Uh, show, us, show us why you gave it to us. Even the confusing parts, show us how that it can edify us and make us more like you. Give us the wisdom to apply it to our lives in the right way. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes, I was, uh, I was privileged to choose the passage that you just heard tonight. Um, and when I was taught how to study the Bible, I learned that if I ever had the opportunity to pick something like that, I should choose something I don't understand or don't know much about. Um, and by cultivating that habit, I can combat something else. If you don't do that kind of thing, you can spend your life missing the uncomfortable or strange or unpleasant things that are actually very helpful to overcome and understand. And so in doing so, you might miss out on some of the bright treasure of God's word. So we're dealing with, in fact, the whole chapter of 13 tonight, but I requested that that small part, the, uh, that second half, be read because I wanted you to experience it the same way I did for the first time, completely devoid of context, Majestic and dark and naked in its strange supernatural language. I am against your magic charms. I will tear off your veils of varying lengths and you will know that I am the Lord. Now, if you're at all like me, then you're probably most comfortable when Scripture is reinforcing something you already know and understand. And reading the wealth of the Old Testament in which God is not at a given time gentle and loving, but sometimes furious and vengeful, is highly disturbing. And when the subject matter is not some familiar, forgettable sin, but is in fact something old and alien, that too can be highly disturbing. So I hope God's word has disturbed you tonight. So let me read the rest of that chapter, the first half, so we can have a complete picture of what we're discussing tonight. Ezekiel chapter 13. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirits and have seen nothing. Your prophets, Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaches in the wall to repair it for the people of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say, the Lord declares and expect him to fulfill their words. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say the Lord declares, though I have not spoken? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because of your false words and lying visions, I am against you, declares the sovereign Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be enlisted in the records of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord, because they lead my people astray, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurtling down, and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, Where is the whitewash you covered it with? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
In my anger, I will unleash a violent wind. In my anger, hailstones and torrents of hail will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you will be destroyed in it, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I will pour out my wrath against the wall and against those who covered it with whitewash. I will say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who whitewashed it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace of her, peace for her, where there was no peace, declares the sovereign Lord. Wow. Ezekiel is an amazing book. It's full of apocalyptic visions and angelic visitations, and what we have here is often called an oracle of woe, charmingly enough. A prophetic pronouncement from the mouth of God's prophet about the doom coming for a certain people. In this case, false prophets in the first half of chapter 13 and false prophetesses in the second half. And God is not shy about his reason for making this pronouncement. Because these prophets are lying to and misleading his people. They are acting in God's name without his authority. And their actions are hurting not just individuals, but the nation as a whole. Some context may be helpful. The prophet Ezekiel lives through a terrible time for the Jews. Our current sermon series we're doing is going through the book of Nehemiah. It follows Nehemiah leading the return from the exile. Ezekiel was one of those who presided over the start of the exile. He lived through the days watching his king squirm and change alliances as powers around the world shifted. First allied to Egypt against Babylon, then switching to back Babylon against Egypt, and then switching back again, only to wind up backing the wrong horse at the end of the day when Egypt army, Egypt's army was whipped and sent scrambling back to the Nile. The holy city Jerusalem was besieged not once but twice, and the Babylonians won both times. First pillaging the city and carrying off thousands into exile, and in the second siege to lay the city completely to ruin, temple and all. Ezekiel, hearing God's voice as one of these captives in Babylon, begins his ministry between these two sieges. And it's in this world to this people who he is speaking. These exiles who have been displaced from the land promised to them by God are settling down in the place to which they have now been led in chains. Now there's something admirable about a people who get straight to the business of trying to live their lives after such a disaster, but they're in danger of forgetting why it happened in the first place. The covenant with God was simple. You will be my people, I will be your God. And the Jews had constantly, over and over again, compromised their worship of the true God. They had turned to the traditional gods of the land they were in, the gods of Canaan, Baal, and Asherah. And this cycle happens through the Old Testament so much, over and over again, to the point where it is painful to read. God's people turn away from him. God punishes them. They cry out to him. He relieves them. God's people turn away from him, over and over, in repetition. Until this exile, the snapping point, where God's patience with this is finally exhausted. No more. You have refused to be my people, so you must come out of the land that I have given you until you have changed. The Babylonian invaders will do what Israel had failed to do all that time. They will destroy the cult of Baal in Jerusalem. By the time the exile is over, the Jews will not be worshipping Baal anymore. No, they will have developed different problems. Problems with prophets not working for Baal, but for Yahweh, for the real God. 
except he has not actually spoken to them. They make a career out of pretending they have real revelation, and guess what, everyone? It's good news. God says, this whole exile business, temporary misunderstanding. It's going to be good times real soon. It's okay. But it's not okay. The temple has been stripped of its treasures. Jerusalem is conquered by an army marching under the banner of foreign gods. And not just any foreign gods, but a specter from the Jews' ancient past. When God chose Abram to be the first of his people, he called him out of Babylon. Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go to your own country and leave your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. Babylon was where the Hebrews were first called out of. The gods of Babylon were the first ones they were called to abandon. Now to those gods and to that nation, they have been drawn. That nation and those gods have reached out and dragged them kicking and screaming back to the land that Father Abraham was born to leave. It's not okay. Everything is going backwards. A history of a thousand years is being swallowed up. Abraham's legendary journey to Canaan to lay claim to the land, Moses' exodus from Egypt, leading his people out of slavery, David's mighty victories, Solomon's temple. What is not destroyed is far away, and here are these prophets telling God's people, it's going to be okay. It's fine. There will be peace. And they believe it because it's a comforting lie. We're going to go home. It's going to be okay. Scripture uses this illustration of whitewash of like a cheap plaster, a kind of a spac filler you trowel onto a wall, with the workers slathering it on to cover up the imperfections and the critical weaknesses, trying to make it look stronger, peace when there is no peace. God has spoken, the people were in crisis, but the truth was so terrible that a lie was much more attractive. God has spoken about our world, about our day, about our crisis. We are sinners. We have rebelled against God. And that sin, that rebellion is the root cause of all the suffering in this world. We are supposed to see the cracks in the wall. And they're not hard to see. I don't need to tell you about the profound violence happening on the other side of the world right now. Or the sickness or the general state of human nature. How people treat one another. The world is broken. We're broken. But man, are we good at whitewashing that wall. Even death, that thing that comes for everyone, the ultimate tragic proof that we are fallen, even that we're pretty good at whitewashing. Many of us, most of those sitting over this side, are too young to have noticed the subtle ways that we've changed how we talk about death. But many of us aren't. We're no longer talking about coming together to mourn the passing of a loved one. We come to celebrate their life. More and more we choose to cremate those who have died and scatter their ashes somewhere scenic and then move on. Cost aside, it's painful and uncomfortable to have a growing number of gravestones we have to visit and revisit those dark feelings. It just seems awful and wrong to think of a person being just in the ground, still and gone and dead. Even the way we talk about death is softer and more palatable now. They've moved on, passed on, gone to a better place, gone to be with Jesus, been called home. Very rarely do we say they've died. It's too rough, too raw. 
Now, we all cope with our losses in our own ways that come to us at the time. That's not the point. We, but we have the word of God. We are in possession of truths that should change the way that we look at everything in this world. They are powerful truths. Sometimes they are disturbing truths. The truth is death isn't natural. It's the twisted consequence of a broken relationship with the God who gave life. The truth is we can't fix what's wrong any more than you can perform brain surgery on yourself. We are too weak, too broken, too sinful. The truth is God has done all the work. He really has sent his son to change the world and that everyone who calls on his name can be saved. And all that he requires of you is to admit that you are really broken and that you really can't fix it yourself. These are the startling truths of what's been given to us. So what about these prophetesses that we read in the message at the start? These, well, it looked like witches, right? Well, this is one of the strangest pieces of scripture you're likely to encounter, but the historical context sheds a lot of light on the situation. What do we do with a verse like 18? This is the, what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to the women who sew magic charms on all their wrists and make veils of various lengths for their heads in order to ensnare people. Will you ensnare your own lives? I'm sorry, will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? Some versions of the Bible, like the ESV, make this even more strange. Putting veils on their heads in order to ensnare souls. Will you ensnare the souls of my people and preserve your own? Now, we cannot know for sure exactly what form this witchcraft took and how prevalent it was, but it was enough for God to speak against. But we can know that it was very much a Babylonian idea and not a Jewish one that one could make magic talismans to capture souls or control people. Whether false prophets were deceiving people by whitewashing the truth, deceiving them about their desperate situation, the false prophetesses, well, they were taking these false practices and rituals from the country they had been exiled to and infecting their people with them. And the world tells us about the effects of this. You have disheartened the righteous with your lies when I had brought them no grief. There are people who were sensitive to the crisis they were in, but then these false prophetesses told them lies, steered them towards ruin, encouraged people who were doing wicked things to keep doing them. And they had the audacity not to do this in the name of Baal or one of the gods of Babylon, but in the name of Yahweh, in the name of the God of Israel. Now the language is unmistakably strong. God has often rebuked his people for profaning his name, but here he says very personally and very painfully, you have profaned me. And this too is no metaphor that we have to abstract away to make it relevant to us. This touches our lives directly. Because God has given his word to all of us now. It's the most published, most purchased book in the world. It's at our fingertips. And it's our God-given responsibility as a church to bring it to the people. And if we live like it doesn't matter, then it's not just that we're doing a lousy job. We're failing in our purpose and profaning God. You know, there's a, um, there's a civil war going on in Western Christianity today. The sides don't have uniforms, so sometimes it's hard to tell who's on which team, and a lot of friendly fire gets thrown around. But and there's an enormous movement of Christians who are buying into a movement which is promising that God loves you so much that he wants you to be healthy and wealthy and happy now. 
and that any suffering or hard times you experience are the result of a lack of faith or failure to give enough in a tithe to church and all that stands between you and the financial and physical security that you deserve is the right prayer and the right donation. It's a lie. It's a lie. We have the true word of God. It's right here and it's very clear. Why is there illness and injury in this world? Because the world is broken and will remain broken until Jesus returns. Why is there poverty and strife? Because the world is broken and it will remain broken until Jesus returns. Why are the rich, healthy people of great fame and status often the most miserable to the point of self-destruction? Because the world is broken and it will remain broken until Jesus returns. Now, Australia has to be about the worst country in the nation for this particular thing. We have a national pride about being laid back, unhurried, she'll be right kind of people. It's okay. Peace when there is no peace. We don't let what's terrible in the world bother us, or just as often we channel all that tension we feel into complaining about something so far out of our reach that we're absolved of all responsibility to do anything about it. Ugh, the government. Ugh, America. Ugh, the Middle East. What can you do? It's a rhetorical question. What can you do? Nothing, really. There's very little you can do about those things unless you're a particular person of particular gifts and powers. That's why it's so cathartic to complain about, because nothing has to come out of it. But whether it's distant problems or the pursuit of wealth or inactive Christian mediocrity, we're all very good at whitewashing our walls to feel comfortable. But the great Christian author and philosopher Francis Schaeffer put it this way, Every man has built a roof over his head to shield himself at the point of tension. The Christian, lovingly, must remove that shelter and allow the truth of the external world and of what man is to beat down upon him. When that roof is off, each man must stand naked and wounded before the truth of what is. He must come to know that his roof is a false protection from the storm of what is. You see, a prophet at its core is someone who listens to God's word and speaks it to the world. And in that much, we are all prophets. All of us who say we are following Jesus, we have been given his word to give to the world. And it's within our power to ensnare people either with apathy or with bad teaching. And there's plenty of opportunity available to us to do right by the word of God. There are ministries that need involvement, people to reach out. There are hard conversations that people need to have, conversations that may cost us. But failing to have them is acting like there's nothing wrong, and that's just so much whitewash. And it's not something we can afford to turn a blind eye to. I want to read that chapter again, and I want to try and do the tone of it justice. But just listen to what the words are that God speaks when his children are being lied to. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who are prophesying out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. 
Your prophets, Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaches in the walls to repair it for the people of Israel, so that in the day of the battle it will stand firm in the name of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say, the Lord declares, and expect him to fulfill their words. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say, the Lord declares, though I have not spoken? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because of your false words and lying visions, I am against you, declares the sovereign Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. Because they lead my people astray, saying, Peace, when there is no peace, and because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurtling down, and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, Where is the whitewash you covered it with? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In my wrath, I will unleash a violent wind, and in my anger, hailstones and torrents of rain will fall in destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you will be destroyed in it, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I will pour out my wrath against the wall and against those who covered it with whitewash. I will say to you, the wall is gone and so are those who whitewashed it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own imagination. Prophesy against them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the women who sew magic charms on all their wrists and make veils of varying lengths for the heads of, in order to ensnare people. Will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? You have profaned me among my people for a few handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. By lying to my people who listen to lies, you have killed those who should not have died and spared those who should not live. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against your magic charms with which you ensnare people like birds, and I will tear them off your arms. I will set free the people that you ensnared like birds. I will tear off your veils, and I will save my people from your hands, and they will no longer fall prey to your power. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Because you disheartened the righteous with your lies when I brought them no grief, and because you encouraged the wicked to turn to not in turn from their evil ways to save their lives. Therefore, you will no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will save my people from your hands, and then you will know that I am the Lord. It's fury. It's righteous anger. It's the rage of a loving mother who finds someone has come between her and her children. It's the protective thunder of a loving father driven to protect his family. And as followers of Jesus, we are not ignorant to the truth. So we're left with two choices. We can either share in feeling that fury against the blinding of the world to the gospel, or we can stand in its way, whitewashing walls and lying with our silence.
Friends, don't get comfortable. We are living for the world after this one. Don't let the brokenness of this world become routine. It's not an easy message to live. The world is mired in sin, and the people who don't come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior are on a terrible path. What can you do? Well, what can you do? Let's pray. Father God, we are redeemed sinners living in a broken world and sometimes we don't know the right way to do that. But we pray that you will never let us stand between you and your people. Convict our hearts, show us how to stand with you and how to bear your gospel truth to a world that doesn't want to hear it. May we always be working for you and never against you. And when we stumble, forgive us and lead us again. In Jesus' name. Amen.